Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever wanted to communicate with just your mind? There have been countless experiments to see if this could be possible and whether we can converse with only the power of our mind. Welcome to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding, and in this episode, we will be exploring the phenomena of telepathy. The term telepathy was first coined in 1882 by the classical scholar Frederick W. H. Myers and defined as the purported vicarious transmission of information from one person to another without using any known human sensory channels or physical interaction. Telepathy could also be considered an extrasensory perception, or ESP, also allied sixth sense. Although telepathy experiments have historically been criticised for a lack of proper controls and repeatability, telepathic communication could soon be within reach with Elon Musk's Neuralink device, which will help people to communicate with their minds. So does the ability to communicate with another human being using only their mind exist? Many people believe that it's possible. I, for one, certainly believe that, for instance, identical twins can sense when their twin is sad, happy, or in some cases, fall seriously ill or even die. What is happening to the human brain that makes it capable of feeling another's emotions? And do all of us have the untapped capability? There are countless stories of identical twins having the most amazing life-altering communications. One such story is of Gemma Horton. Both her and her sister Leanne were at home. Gemma was downstairs, Leanne in the bath. Suddenly, Gemma had a feeling that her twin needed help. Gemma said, I just got this feeling to check on her. So I went up to the bathroom and she was under the water. Gemma discovered her sister unconscious after suffering a seizure. Gemma called for help and gave Leanne first aid, saving her sister's life. Another story tells of two little girls, identical twins, who were sat next to each other outside on the porch. They watched on in silence as a motorbike approached in the distance and without saying anything to each other, they looked knowingly at each other, got up and walked inside. And seconds later, the bike crashed into the porch. If they hadn't moved, they would have been killed. 
It is worth noting that out of the 1.6 million twins born a year in the world, that not all of them will have a telepathic connection, nor is telepathy a proven phenomena. There have been countless studies on this field, and each time the scientists see so many holes that this subject continues to baffle the world of science. Perhaps the most famous and ongoing study has to be the Gansfield experiment. This study was to try to prove the existence of ESP, extrasensory perception. A receiver, let's say me, would be put into a room and would be sat in a relaxing chair, having two cut-in-half ping-pong balls placed over either eye. Freaky looking, I know. Followed by a red light shining on my face. I would also wear headphones and through them I would be played white noise. Once I had become totally relaxed and in a state of sensory deprivation for 30 minutes, a sender, let's say you, picks a randomly chosen object and looks at it, trying hard to send the image to me. I would then talk out loud, describing the image that came into my head, and hopefully the chosen object would have been telepathically sent to me to describe. Sadly, over the years, parapsychologists and scientists are still trying to perfect the experiment. Many say that the sender and receiver are too close in proximity to each other and therefore there could be a leakage of information from both parties. The Gansfield experiment is still being practised and modified today, so hopefully in time science may be able to prove that telepathy may very well exist. Now, I do have my own strange and spooky stories to share with you regarding telepathy. Many years ago, when my husband Carl and I began running Most Haunted Experience events, we were conducting a Ouija board session in a dark, foreboding barn, as you do. There were about six of us sat around a table. It was freezing cold and about two o'clock in the morning. A couple of the guests were a little apprehensive about the session as this was to be the first time they'd ever dared do a Ouija board. After a few minutes, the planchette on the board began to move, at first slowly, stopping randomly at various letters and numbers. Can you give us a name? Who are we talking to, please? I asked. Again, the planchette moved over letters and numbers that made no sense whatsoever. I then began to ask various questions. Are you male? Female? Did you die here? Do you mean us harm? This final question always makes me a little nervous and as the planchette rumbled towards the word yes, our guests expelled deep breaths of fear. Carl asked, do you want to play games with us? Again, the board spelled out the word yes. It was then that we decided that we would play a little game with our spiritual guest. Could they read our minds. This was the first for me and I remember being excited and a little nervous. Okay, I said, what colour am I thinking of? Immediately the planchette rolled over the letters B-L-U-E. I gasped out, oh my God, that's bizarre. Let me try, said one of the guests and they too asked what his favourite colour was. Red came the reply. Then Carl asked a question that no one hoped that he would get an answer for, which was, what's my phone number? After a brief pause, we all watched in amazement at our fingers which sat on top of the planchette as it ran smoothly and quickly over the 11 digits. All of them were correct and in the right order. 
every one of us asked the same question, making sure we thought of the right phone number in our heads. And one by one, our phone numbers were revealed to us. We never did find out who we were talking to, but I can definitely say that we were trembling, not just from the cold, but from our fear as we left the barn that night. One thing we had discovered, and I know it wasn't a controlled experiment, but it proved to myself and Carl that spirits could read our minds, our thoughts and our emotions. Well, this excited me very much as we just discovered something new. So, whenever we're in communication with a loved one, before we go ahead and believe it's grandma, granddad um, or, or a loved one, always ask three questions that relate to them and always think the wrong answer. So, if a spirit comes through saying, for instance, it's my dad, I will ask a question like, what's the first bike you ever bought me? Was it A, a chopper, B, a rally? or C, a BMX. I will then be thinking of the wrong answer. But if the spirit comes back with the right answer, I know it's my dad. I may do this three, four, five times. This is for my peace of mind, as in the past I've experienced playful spirits who like to play and pretend at being a loved one, which can be incredibly disheartening and upsetting for the sitter. This week's story is from Sophie, who tells her experiences from a flat her and her mum used to live in. Hi, Avert. Hope you're well. I'm loving the podcast, by the way. So I thought I'd send in some of my experience I've had. I've got a few. So the first one was when I was a baby. I was probably about four years old. I don't remember it myself, but my mum's told me a few times. She remembers me when she was putting me to bed one night. The We had a dimmer switch in the bedroom and she remembers me saying to her when she was about to turn the light off, mummy, don't turn the light off. I won't be able to see the lady. And she said she was like, oh, okay, see yourself. And then just left the room because she was terrified. She said she then heard me for hours just babbling away talking and she obviously had no idea who it was but she was too scared to come into the room. So that's one of them. So I think um, that kind of shows how children kind of perceive it. The other ones I've had are quite recently. So me and my mum lived in a flat when I was probably around 16 and this flat was just felt so unwelcoming. It was a flat of six, a block of six. And um, we lived right next door to my auntie whose flat was just so welcoming, so warm, lovely and cozy. We always spent our time in there because the flat that we were in always felt so icy, icy cold all the time. And then one night, my guitar in my room started playing itself. Um, I was so terrified, I actually went and threw the guitar into the living room and closed the door behind me. And then we'd start to go to bed of an evening and have to say out loud, right, we're shutting the drawers, the cupboard doors are all closed the light is going off and we'd shut the door and when we'd come into the living room the next morning the cupboard doors of the kitchen would all be open the cutlery drawer would be wide open and the light would be on and it got to the point where 
we were kind of thinking we were going a bit crazy so we would have to say every single night they're closed the lights off so we'd know that it wasn't us going crazy when we'd wake up the next morning in the same flat as well my in my mum's room her dressing table was opposite her ensuite bathroom and she said she remembers once being in the mirror and I was at school and it was just the two of us living there and she said oh Soph I didn't know you've come home from school early and it wasn't me I was still in school and she said she swears that she saw someone look exactly like me walk through the hallway into the living room but nobody was there um, and then also again in the same flat one night my mum had a load of friends over and someone was in the main toilet so she had a friend use her ensuite toilet and everyone was in the living room I was in my auntie's next door and she said her friend came in and said Lynn, have you just been in in your bedroom? And mum was like, no, I haven't. I've been in here the whole time and there was other people there to back her up. And she said she was, she swore that there was somebody in that bedroom whilst she was in the ensuite toilet. And to this day, she she's adamant that she felt it was like mum in there. So there are a few experiences we had whilst we were in that flat. We've now moved out of that flat thankfully um and then most recently me and mum we've we've always been into the paranormal and and wondering what what's out there um so we actually went on a ghost hunt to saint james's cemetery by liverpool cathedral in november um i had some dowsing rods i've never used them before and i didn't know how reliable they were but as we were walking around mine kept spinning one way in full circles and then they'd spin the other way again in full circles and then we used a spirit box again I've never used that before I don't know how accurate it can be but I called out said my name was Sophie and then from what everyone heard we heard something sound like Sophie and then I was with a friend and my mum and my friend kind of battered away her eyes as if it was um, a fly in her face but at the same time mum looked right at me and there was a gold like orb from her foot fly right up to the sky really really quickly it was it was just insane I, I personally didn't see the orb but more than one person did and it was after I called out and we thought we heard my name I I thought it was just my eyes, so I didn't say anything at the time, but I turned round because I was distracted by someone in the graveyard walking through it, and they caught my eye, so I looked over towards them, and it was an actual person just on their phone walking through. But then I saw, kind of like in a bluish tint of a light, I don't, I don't know whether it was or not, but to me, it looked like from kind of the mid chest upwards, a man, an old man with a moustache and a top hat. As we were making our rounds round the cemetery, um, one of the stories that the people we were with were telling a story of a man who was seen quite regularly, just as top half in a top hat. And again, I kept it to myself because I didn't want people to think I was making things up or or just kind of trying to get attention. But 
it's still in my head to this day like it was definitely something so yeah they're my my experiences I hope you can kind of try and make something of that but um love listening to the podcast and wish you well bye Sophie, you've certainly had your fair share of the paranormal. I can really understand your mum's fear listening to you babbling away to the lady in your room. And as you may recall, I had a similar experience with my daughter, Mary, who would quite happily chat away with the spirit of her great-grandma, Mary, although I think she was a little bit younger than four. I wonder if that was a grandparent or great-grandparent of yours, Sophie, or perhaps a guide, or maybe... Uh, the lady used to live in the house. It's wonderful that you've had a chat with her. Whoever she was, she certainly didn't scare you. The flight you describe sounds like it was truly haunted. And if I'd have heard a guitar play on its own, I would have said a few choice words and ran. It's strange, isn't it? After all my years of conducting investigations, I now have the capability to sense if a building has a positive energy or a negative one. And we can all do this. It's just whether we choose to do it. What fascinates me the most is the fact that your mum thought she saw you, even though you weren't in the flat at the time. Now, this could be a spirit that takes a human form. Sounds scary, doesn't it? And obviously a little bit confusing and very frightening. These ghosts are more commonly known as doppelgangers. The word doppelganger comes from the German double goer or double walker. And as you can imagine, seeing a living loved one standing, staring at you, not answering when questioned, and then to simply walk away is incredibly freaky. Now, I've experienced this twice, once with the director of Most Haunted at Michelin Priory um, and uh, the other is of Stuart, uh, one of our cameraman on Most Haunted. And I, I think I've described these experiences on previous shows, but I'll never forget seeing the director of an early Most Haunted. I think it was the first one at Michelin Priory. Her name was Bev. And she'd gone out of one room. We'd watched her walk out of the room. And then the next minute... She's actually walking down a, a, a flight of stairs towards us. And we couldn't believe it. And we were all of us, the whole crew went, but you've just gone out of that room. And she went, no, I haven't. I've been up here. Went, but we've just seen you walk out of the room. We've seen you walk out of the door. It's an extraordinary experience. And your mum could definitely have experienced that. Or it could have been a memory of your image being played out that your mum witnessed the good old stone tape theory, which we've discussed many times, I know. And finally, how marvellous that you saw a full-bodied apparition, Sophie. I wonder, was the top-hatted gentleman you saw solid or transparent? Please let me know. I'd love to hear. And thank you so much for sharing your paranormal experiences with us. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mum's the Word is a brand new parenting podcast hosted by me, Ashley James. Pregnancy, piles, and all the other problems that come with parenting, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. Join me each week on my journey through motherhood as we celebrate the amazing highs as well as the lows. As it's my first time, we'll have celebrities, experts, and hopefully you guys too who will help me figure out what the hell I'm supposed to be doing. Find us wherever you got this podcast. Just search Mum's the Word. Welcome back. Before we go into our chat with the leading expert, Elle got in touch uh, on email to ask, Hello Yvette, I hope all is well with you and your family. Well, it is. Thank you very much. Uh, This isn't a scary story. This is a question regarding Most Haunted. Is there any more on the cards? My friend and I have watched your show since we were children and have been fascinated with the paranormal ever since. We are now 30 and often re-watch old episodes whilst drinking many bottles of wine. Good on you. We have aptly nicknamed you the queen of the paranormal. Yes, we indulge in ghost adventures occasionally, but those boys don't have the same razzle-dazzle as you. Kind regards, Elle. Thank you so much, Elle. That's a lovely, lovely email. Um, Well, yes, it's something that we are working on at the moment. It's very exciting um, and uh, more will be revealed. That's all I can say, which is a real shame. But uh, yes, watch this space. Keep your ears and eyes open. Uh, And hopefully this year we'll be making a proper announcement. And also in the meantime, um, you know, until uh, new shows are available, you can always go to the Most Haunted official YouTube channel um, where there's always new Most Haunted extras and Most Haunted lives that are being uploaded regularly. There's also the Most Haunted app. Uh, You can join the app and you can get private um, programs on there as well. Have a look on your apps and uh, type in Most Haunted and they will 
be there. And if you want to go ghost hunting in the flesh, there's always Most Haunted Experience. Um, just go onto the website, have a look at all the different haunted locations that you can investigate with either myself um, and Carl and Glenn, uh, or just be really brave and go off with Carl and Stuart. I mean, you've got to have, well, a lot of courage. That's all I can say. Anyway, I hope that helps, Elle. Uh, and keep watching and drinking the wine. Well, I'm absolutely delighted uh, to have with us uh, on today's show Chris French. He's a British uh, psychologist who specialises in psychology of paranormal beliefs and experiences. He's the head of the University of London's Animalistic Psychology Research Unit. I hope I said that correctly, Chris. You did indeed, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've been introduced as an animalistic psychologist quite a few times, so that was quite nice. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I have been practicing it. I've been wandering around the house going, and I'm a little and I'm a little skid again. And it's, gosh, what a tongueful that is, a mouthful rather. Welcome, welcome. It's so lovely to have you on the show. My pleasure. Obviously, today's show, we're talking about telepathy. And I've sort of centered on a couple of cases um, with twins where they've, you know, had these experiences where they've been separated, but the other one, bizarrely enough, can sense that the other one is feeling lost, upset, or in fact, near death. Um, to, you know, twins, uh, you know, another case that, um, you know, just pops into my head now is um, they've been separated at birth and then they get together when they're adults and they discover that they like the same music, they wear the same fashions, they have the same emotions. And at certain points in their lives, they've been able to tell when the other one has been upset or hurt. What's your take on telepathy then? Well, I mean, in general, as you know, you're talking to a, a skeptic here. Um, and, I'm, I'm, and I'm not convinced by the currently available evidence. I think that um, there are certain areas of parapsychology where the results are intriguing enough certainly to justify further research, and I'm thinking there particularly maybe of the Gansfeld technique, um, but a lot of the evidence certainly for things like twin telepathy tends to be anecdotal, and there are always problems with anecdotal evidence. Um, basically, we're talking about accounts from people I'm sure in the vast majority of cases are sincerely given, people are not being dishonest, um, but there are other possible explanations for what they're reporting. And so overall, I'm, I'm not convinced, uh, but I'm open to be proved wrong. If, if, if parapsychologists could get to a stage where they can specify the kind of optimal conditions and they can come up with a, a technique for demonstrating telepathy under well-controlled conditions, not necessarily in every single study they do, but in, in enough to make the kind of wider scientific community acknowledge that there is something there to be explained. Maybe I'll change my mind. But at the moment, I don't think, I don't think we're there. So what was going on with the Gansfeld experiment that you thought, no, it's, it's not quite right there? Is, the, is this sort of bleeding of knowledge, you know, sounds and, and so on between the two recipients? Well, there's, I mean, again, as you'll know, I mean, just to, just to explain what the Gansfeld technique is, it, it's based on the idea that if telepathy does exist, then it may well be a very, very weak signal that under most circumstances is just kind of lost given all the other information that's coming in through your senses kind of pretty much every second of the day. So the idea was if we could dampen down all that kind of background noise, maybe 
the telepathy signal would be more detectable. And so the way the uh, technique works is you have two people, a sender and a receiver. Um, the receiver lies on a, on a comfortable couch in a, in a room that's at body temperature. They wear earphones, headphones that kind of play white noise. They will have ping pong balls typically taped over their eyes with just a, a red light bulb on. So if they open their eyes, all they'll see is a uniform field of red. Um, and basically, they just lie there. They get very, very relaxed. And typically, people will report that their mind fills with imagery. You know, so images start running through their mind. And the idea is that at pre-specified time, a sender who is in a remote location and ideally, you know, that there shouldn't be any kind of sensory leakage. There shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to hear what that person might be saying or anything. In the early experiments, it tended to be look at, look at pictures, uh, randomly selected. These days, people tend to use video clips, again, randomly selected. And they should try and transmit telepathically what it is they're experiencing to the receiver. And everything the receiver says, they describe what's going through their mind. It's all recorded. It can be transcribed. An experimenter who is with the receiver can um, ask for any clarifications that might be needed. And uh, at the end of the session, basically, uh, you've got a situation where either the receiver or independent judges can say um, the degree to which they feel that, that the transcript that was generated um, matches usually kind of one of four potential targets. So you'd expect there to be that one to be the correct answer to come up one in four times, but lots of people say that it comes up a bit more than that. Typically, people say about one in three. So it's not a huge effect, but if that was consistent, that would be very, very compelling evidence. Um, now, again, without going over the whole history of Gansfeld research, it's been going on for a few decades now, um, there have been some... Experiments. Some studies have been criticised on the basis of uh, the statistical analysis that was employed. Others on the basis of procedural points like possible sensory leakage. Was it possible to hear what the uh, sender may have been shouting or saying? Or even, you know, if you were playing videos, could you hear the video? Um, whether the experiment was properly controlled in terms of other aspects. Um, and I mean, there's also been a, there's at least one a case where uh, fraud was strongly suspected, and yet that data still finds its way into meta-analyses these days. So there are enough problems with the, the data set as it stands for kind of people, if you're already a believer, you'll find it very convincing. If you're already a skeptic, you won't be convinced. Yeah, you have to you have to um, go into this with your eyes wide open, don't you? And sort of like you say, if you if you if you one hundred percent believer, you're not going to listen to any of the the things that aren't one hundred percent, you know, true as it were. You're going to be looking at all the positive signs. So without a one hundred percent proof positive test, it can never be proven, can it? Really. Well, I mean, potentially it could. I think. I mean, I think this is a situation where, in fact, the the uh, the kind of believers, if you like, have uh, got the kind of at least the rhetorical advantage because most uh, most people who do believe in the paranormal and certainly you know have a professional interest in it um, can kind of present themselves as saying that you know they obviously don't they don't they don't accept every single paranormal claim as being valid. 
they don't, you know, they think that a lot of them can be explained in terms like of misreporting or hallucination or coincidence or all these other factors. But they think that some of them are genuine. Whereas, kind of my working hypothesis, and that is all it is. I mean, I, I I've always said that being a skeptic you should be open to the possibility you might be wrong. New evidence might come along that does make you change your mind, and if so, you should do that. But my working hypothesis is that psi, paranormal forces, don't exist at all. <laughs> so uh, I can come across as being very close-minded then and see that to, to, to believers, I will look very close-minded. And my reply to that would be that I have probably put more time into directly testing paranormal claims as fairly as I possibly can, than all of these people who are criticizing me for being closed-minded. And in none of these studies that we've carried out have we ever found compelling evidence that paranormal forces really do exist. So it's partly I've got my, you know, my own attitude and views and beliefs on the basis of research I've done personally, but also just looking at the kind of wider, the wider uh, research literature that's there. I don't find it particularly compelling. What? What? I have to ask you because I've ne- whenever we've done stuff together, Chris, which been a couple of times, we've always sort of like, you know, never really had the chance to talk about, you know, what got us interested in all of this. So, wh- how did you find yourself investigating the the paranormal? Well, uh, again, I've, I've probably told this story a bit too few too many times now, but I mean, I used to believe in a lot of this stuff uh, when I was doing my PhD at Leicester University which was nothing to do with this stuff at all. It was on um, hemisphere differences, you know, differences between the different parts of the brains, using EEG and all, all very, all very scientific. Um, but while I was doing that, somebody recommended a particular book, which was uh, by James Alcock, who is a Canadian social psychologist, and the book was called Parapsychology, Science or Magic. And this was the first sceptical treatment of all this stuff that I'd ever come across. And as my friend suspected, uh, I did find, really enjoy the book and it kind of completely changed my life. But uh, it started off very slowly as a kind of hobby. Uh, I started at Goldsmiths back in 1685. No, sorry, 1985. Just feels like, just, just feels like 1685. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I, I did a couple of lectures and the, the odd little student project in this area, just kind of dabbled, but it, it grew from there. Now, bear in mind, I, um, at this point, had the word skeptic tattooed across my forehead, more or less, and, and yet still, you know, there were raised eyebrows and, uh, oh, why are you interested in that stuff? Because, I mean, most psychologists are very, very skeptical when it comes to this stuff. Um, and so I really sympathised with the kind of, parapsychologists who actually are kind of more sympathetic towards paranormal claims because you know they must get yeah they must have such difficulty in terms of getting academic respect which most of them do deserve you know these are these are people these serious thinkers with serious ideas but yeah uh it gradually got to a point where i realized that this was the stuff that um, interested me the most and so I decided that this is what I would actually concentrate on and drop all the other stuff. As long as you're happy, and we're all happy. We, it's always great, you know, like I was saying, a lot of the time me and you get sort of plunged together, don't we, and they expect a big fight, but we never, we kind of agree on a lot of I things. I think we do, I think um, we do. I was just talking, we do, yeah. Um, I was just talking um, uh, in this episode about the first time that I'd ever come across something um, that really blew my mind. And in my saying, you know, is seeing is believing, you know, for me, it's that kind of, I've got to 
experience it. I've got to see it. I've got to hear it before I can even say that there's something paranormal or, you know, something that's not quite right. Um, You know, what is it? And uh, I'm sort of very inquisitive that way. We were doing a a Ouija board and I know there's all sorts of sceptical, you know, thought processes on that. It's, you know, micro muscular movements of of your fingers all moving, you're all willing the glass to move and so on. But this was really strange. Um, We were were in a a very cold barn. It was like two o'clock in the morning and um, it was members of the public. I think there were six of us in total, myself and Carl. And they were really nervous. They'd never done it before. We all put our fingers on, on the glass. And um, basically, we asked the glass, or whoever we were talking to, could you give us our phone numbers? And it went round to each person and gave out their phone numbers, which was extraordinary. <laughs> and that's the first time for me that I, that I thought, wow, so can they read your mind? They must be able to read your mind. And so I sort of like, you know, when people, um, you know, want a reading from a, a medium or a psychic or whatever, I always say to them, if you ask specific questions about your loved ones, always make sure you push out the wrong answer in your head so that, you know, if it is just telepathy coming through, which in itself is amazing, you know, you're making sure, yeah, you're making sure that you're getting... I don't know the, the the right answer, as it were. Um, I mean, I mean, I know you're going to have your skeptic, obviously, a skeptic's hat on with regards to that. But it did blow my mind. I mean, it was extraordinary and quite frightening. So nobody, nobody who knew the right answer had their finger on the glass at the time. Then no, right. exactly. We made sure that whoever was asking out took their finger off. In, in a sense, the problem there is that it, it's kind of yet another anecdote. This is something that would be very easy for you to kind of, you know, set up a formal test and do it. Go for it. Yes, Get people in, film it all from start to finish, make absolutely sure that there's no possibility of any other way of of people knowing the right answer. And if you could do that, then, you know, that is a real challenge. But at the and moment, I'll give it to you. It, it's I'll it's unfortunate. Well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but it's but it's no more than just another anecdote, you know. I mean, and again, I can't really comment. I wasn't there at the time. I don't know whether you have remembered everything accurately. I don't know what the conditions were, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, what do you think? I mean, we've, I mean, this is. I'm sorry to bore you, Chris, because we've been through this so many times. So, what do you think is happening with people that claiming that they are psychics, um, they're mediums, and they are you know, getting messages from the other side. Are they um, really getting messages from the other side or are they reading the sitter's mind, which is incredible in itself? Or is it just cold reading? Well, again, there are different possibilities. I mean, first off, I always make a huge distinction between those people who claim to have these powers, who sincerely believe that they have. And in my opinion, that is the vast majority. But there are also deliberate con artists out there, um, one of whom you may have worked with, Yvette. Um, now- <laughs> I've worked with many, let me tell you. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, so wow. we know, you know, so I mean, it's, for me as a psychologist, the techniques that are used by the deliberate con artists are also fascinating. Um, and they do work. I mean, I passed myself off as a psychic on Richard and Judy years ago. Um, the, the, the researcher had got in touch with me uh they were the BBC Two was showing a documentary about psychics, and yeah, that was the hook for the for the item. 
contacted me. I start banging on about cold reading and so on. Um, and the researcher said, oh, well, can you come on and do it? And I thought, oh, God, no, I don't want to actually do it with <laughs> my camera because it doesn't always work, you know. <laughs> I've done cold readings for friends and to explain to them what it is. Um, just, just explain what a cold reading is, Chris, for those people listening that haven't a clue what we're talking about. A cold about. reading is a technique that is used by deliberate con artists to convince complete strangers that you know all about them. And obviously, if you want to set yourself up as a fake psychic, it is a very useful skill to have. I mean, I used to teach it to all of the students on my anomalistic psychology psychology module at Goldsmiths so that when they graduated and couldn't get a job, they'd have something to fall back on. You know, so the next generation <laughs> of psychic superstars will have all been taught by me. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, um, it, there's a, there's, it's a whole set of techniques, in fact. I mean, one, one of the things that works very well, and which is very, very basic, is something called the Barnum effect. There are lots of statements which sound as if they're saying something kind of quite perceptive about your innermost personality, but actually apply to pretty much everybody. So if I was giving you a reading that was just purely based on, on Barnum statements, I might come out with stuff like, um, I'm sensing that you've you've got a lot of unused potential. You've achieved quite a lot in life, but there's so much more you could achieve if you could just tap into that potential. And everybody listening to that thinks, yes, that's me. (laughs) We all think that. Or uh, you've got a better than average sense of humour. Well, of course you have, because other people don't laugh at things that you think are funny. Well, they're the ones with the problem, aren't they? Your sense of humour is great, you know. And and you can you can go on like that for half an hour. There's loads of stuff, and and you know. Well, there's always well, there's always there was always a lost piece of jewellery. Your grandmother's showing me a a ring or a watch, um, and there's always a family pet. They've crossed over, uh, and they're here, and they always want to give you a um, the 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 loved one always wants to give you some roses or some flowers because uh, as a gift from the spirit world. Yeah, we've had it all. <laughs> a lot of the time when you actually go through readings you know, line by line, you realise that the medium or the psychic is is asking a lot of questions. And it's quite interesting the way that's done because it's, I mean, you know, really they're supposed to be telling you stuff and yet why are they asking all these questions? But it's the way it's done. So, you know, when I did this thing on Richard and Judy, at one point I'd said to the uh, the volunteer. I've been introduced as being somebody who claimed to have psychic powers. So first of all, I gained her cooperation by saying that, you know, I'm really nervous. I've never done this in front of cameras before. Um, so just to speed things along. And, and also, we've only got 10 minutes. You know, normally I spend an hour with each client. But could you just tell me, uh, is there somebody particularly you'd like me to try and make contact with? And she said, oh, yeah, my granddad. So I already knew granddad's in spirit. Um, but then, you know, at one point I kind of, I said, um, was, was your granddad a tidy man? And she said, oh, yes, he was. And oh, I thought he was. Everything had its place, didn't it? Now, if she had said no, I'd have just said, no, I didn't think it was. He never used to put things away, did he? He'd always leave them around everywhere, you know. And it sounds from my question as if I'm asking for confirmation of something I already know. But actually, I don't. <laughs> oh, yeah. And and like you say, I mean, on, on our show, we don't use mediums anymore. And, I, and I've mentioned this on this podcast. There's only one medium that completely blew my mind when, you know, they didn't ask me any questions. They didn't, nothing. And it was very really personal to me that nobody would have known about. It was absolutely extraordinary. And that was Brian Shepard. But everybody else, and as you know, we've had 
hundreds, I've dealt with hundreds of mediums. We've had them, uh, they forgot they've got a radio mic on. We've caught them in the toilet, ringing up their friends and loved ones, asking them to go onto the internet to give them all the history and details about the location. And it goes on and on and on. Honest to God, on, we we ended up laughing and just saying to the channel, we don't want to use them anymore because we can't trust them. And, and I'm not saying, and I've said this before on the show many times, that not all mediums and psychics are frauds and, and fakers. Of course not. There is a, a, a gift. What that gift is, we do not know yet how they use it. We don't understand it yet. But there are people out there who genuinely have some sort of gift. We just don't understand it. But it makes me very sad and upset when there are obvious fraudulent people out there who are taking money from innocent people and using it as for a fame game. And I, and I think that's really sad. No, I'd agree. Just to say, just to go back to what I said before, that I don't think that most people who claim to have these this gift are deliberate frauds. I think the vast majority of the time, they're people who, who who are fooling themselves as much as, if maybe not more, than any clients they're dealing with. But the other thing is, going back to my uh, sort of muddled question, I think it was, which was, you know, what if these psychics aren't talking to spirit people? Let's ju- let's just say for in- that they're picking up on something. Could that be telepathy that we don't understand yet? I'm, I'm also not convinced that there is such a thing as telepathy. But, and for me, I mean, but it could be, it could, or it could be clairvoyance. You know, I mean, it, 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 if, if, if you entertain the idea that those things are possible, then you don't need to have the explanation that they're talking to dead spirits. They could be picking up the information from, from other sources. We probably take in, well, we do take in more information than we're necessarily consciously aware of. Um, there's some kind of nice research where they did a kind of experimental analog, if you like, of the of a, of a Ouija board. Um, and when they were asking kind of general knowledge type questions, people actually got higher scores in terms of what they felt were, you know, answers being given via some sort of Ouija board device rather than just consciously answering the question, you know, which is a very yeah. intriguing finding. I'd like to see it replicated, but it's a really interesting one. Um, and some of our own research also supports that idea that, uh, you know, people can sometimes uh, – you've, you've no doubt heard of subliminal perception. Um, we, did, we did a study where we told our participants that it was an ESP task and their job was to, on each trial, try and guess which symbol, you know, we use the Xena card symbols that are used in a lot of telepathy experiments, which symbol the, the computer was going to randomly select. What we didn't tell them was that on half the trials, we were subliminally priming them with the right answer. It was so briefly flashed up that you couldn't consciously see it at all. Um, but some of our participants then did score above what you'd expect by chance, but only on the subliminally prime trials. But if you were to say to them, well, how are you doing that? They wouldn't know. So why not? You know, it's quite rational for them to say, oh, I don't know, maybe I'm psychic. Maybe maybe it's ESP. But uh, yeah, so it's, this, that's the kind of approach that we've taken. But I'm all in favour of uh, parapsychologists carrying out the best quality research that they can and if they come up with a way of being able to demonstrate this stuff reliably and robustly, you know, fine. Then it's a, it'd be an amazing scientific breakthrough. What in your, uh, you know, in, in your career um, as a skeptic, has has there been one experiment or one 
piece of evidence that you've looked at and thought that's come really close and I've really had to think about this long and hard because it is quite extraordinary? I mean, one of them was a programme that I took part in where we uh, were looking at a guy called David Mandel who claimed that his dreams could foretell the future. Um, the prob- He was an artist, lovely old guy, and again, I don't think for one minute that he was uh, you know, a hoaxer. But what he would do, um, he would, if he, if he had one of his dreams that he felt was precognitive, he would kind of try and get an image fixed in his mind as he was waking up and then and then draw a picture or paint a picture, maybe put a few notes on it and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, and then just kind of wait for wait for that event to take place. Now the problem was that he didn't know when it would take place. It might be the following day, the following week, or in 20 years' time. So he had a huge collection of these of these pictures. But some of them, you know, would, I think, I think it's fair to say, would uh, yeah, be a challenge maybe for sceptics. He certainly had, he had two dreams about the Twin Towers collapsing, uh, one of which was uh, a couple of months before it happened, and the other one was five years before it happened. But spookily enough, it was kind of five years to the day. Um, and there's no question that these pictures were the Twin Towers. You know, you can see the Statue of Liberty in the in the painting kind of thing. Um, but, you know, the, the again, the, you know, we were playing the role of the sceptics. I mean, and again, Louis was involved in this, uh, in, 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 in this study as well. Um, yeah, our, our kind of possible counter explanation was, well, it maybe these matches are just coincidentally these paints lots of pictures. Maybe there are other news stories in the archive. I mean, the one I've just given you there, I think, is probably the single best. But a lot of the others might be things like an earthquake or a terrorist attack or whatever else it may be. And maybe there were other events that could equally well have been chosen as the matches because, you know, there's a lot of stuff happens in the world and he had a huge number of pictures. Um, and so we basically, we only had about two weeks to try and do this, we kind of had to look through the news archives to see if we could find any matches that we felt were either as good or better. And generally we did, this was with his, I think it was about his 40 best matches that he felt were the best matches. Generally, we did actually manage it. But there were overall, he did better than us. But he had many, many, many years to make the selection, whereas we had a couple of weeks. So I, I kind of call it a score draw, basically. But that was an intriguing one. That's one I'd put in a the pile of saying, well, maybe. I'd maybe. love to see those paintings. <laughs> I would love to see those paintings. And what do you think about Elon Musk with this new... Um, device that he's saying you can, you know, you can put it in your brain, and we can link up to our computers. And I mean, I think that's incredibly frightening. I think we're going far too. Oh, oh well, no. yeah, yeah. I think that raises a whole a whole host of uh, scary issues. You know, so um, I mean, technology is is essential. Is you know, is essentially kind of value neutral. It's what we do with it that is uh, is is kind of potentially scary. Um, but you know, I mean, again, there's there's nothing in the. Yeah, we know that our brains work on the basis of electricity, um, and therefore, you know, you could have link-ups between. Yeah, you know, we we could have artificial devices in our brains that did link up and effectively give us telepathy. In in theory, um, whether practically that's that's actually possible or not, I wouldn't like to say. But um, you know. Again, going back to kind of just 
telepathy as we currently understand it without any artificial devices being used. I'm just, yeah, as I say, I'm waiting to see, I'm waiting to see kind of ev- strong evidence that uh, would be strong enough. I would hope that it would be strong enough to convince the wider scientific community because I accept that there is a bias against parapsychology uh, on, on the part of the wider scientific community. The evidence would have to be kind of very strong and compelling, but you know that's that's the challenge that faces the parapsychologists it certainly does i tell you what will happen is i'll be one of the first to get the elon musk thing and then i'll give you a call in the middle of the night you'll have one in and i'll scare you absolutely <laughs> to death i'll be going i'm sure chris. you would <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much chris it's been an absolute pleasure as always and we'll speak to you again very soon bye okay take care bye bye Well, thank you for listening to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding. So what do you think a thought without language sounds like? How will we communicate in the future? We'll be back again next week. Stay up to date with the newest episodes by giving us a follow. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. We want to hear from you. So send in a question or an audio clip telling uh, us your paranormal story to this address, paranormalactivitypod at gmail.com. We also have WhatsApp and you can send in your voice notes to this phone number, 0759992737. That's 075 and we also have an Instagram page and this is the uh, address it's at Paranormal Activity Pod that's at Paranormal Activity Pod and remember I'm, I'm sending out thoughts so you should know what I'm about to say to you you ready? good, glad you got that Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.